Welcome to Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, and with me, as always, on the phone from Los Angeles, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Darren, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. I, I want to dive right into what I think is the biggest sort of topic in our geekosphere this week. Maybe, uh, maybe of the summer, uh, the mm. film... The film Prometheus, uh, which debuted o- over the weekend, uh, did did pretty good business, although not enough to defeat the Madagascar threequel. Uh, Jeff, I I almost don't know where to begin with this movie. It was talked about for so long before the release. You know, there was this kind of ongoing mystery of is it an alien prequel? What is its, what is its relationship to that franchise? And now that it's out, I, I think that you know there's so many different opinions about the movie and about what it kind of really means. What uh, what was your kind of reaction to the film, though, Jeff, after you saw it? Yeah, I think that's where we should start. Let's just start with the very simple question, like regardless of the, the the cultural conversation about it, like you know, which is you know, did we like it? And I liked it. You know, I mean, it. I don't know about you, but when I come to a movie that I think could be an alien movie, and certainly when I come to a movie that was advertised as Ridley Scott's return to science fiction. I expect a movie that of uh, uh, filled with visual grandeur um, and, uh, and 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 not a little bit of extraterrestrial horror. You know, like if this was going to be an alien prequel, I was expecting um, a a movie filled with atmosphere and dread and some really good shocks and gore and um, and, and and amazing visuals. Uh, to a lesser degree, I was expecting a movie that had sort of mystery and mythology to it. Um, and as it turned out, the movie actually contained a fair amount of that or, or, or tried to contain a fair amount of that. But what I wanted from this movie was a movie that just kind of like ate out my eyeballs with, you know, like, you know, geek visuals <laughs> and, just, and, and, and creeped me out. And I would say that for the most part, um, I got my money's worth. Um, but th- there, there is this other aspect to it, which is sort of the mystery and mythology of it, and I think that needs to be broken out, and we could, we can have a separate conversation about that. But that's how I felt about it when I left the movie. Um, I, I was I was satisfied with what I wanted from it from an entertainment experience. I was surprised, not surprised. I don't know how I really feel about this issue, other than just. I don't feel negatively or necessarily positively about this. I think maybe the surprise of the movie is that it really is chapter one of what feels to me like a new franchise. You know, this is a separate alien franchise that exists within the alien world, and we saw chapter one in it. I don't know if I was expecting that. I think I might have been expecting what I think that all the alien movies have always been, which is a self-contained movie with no expectation that there will be another one. It seemed to me that by the end of the movie, this movie was made with full expectation or hope that there would be more movies. Well, and you know, you're actually touching on something that is really interesting and really kind of complicates uh, my initial feelings for the movie. I, I want to lead off by saying that I, I kind of agree with you that just as a pure cinematic experience, I really did enjoy Prometheus. 
Uh, you know, I I paid the, the the extra bucks to go see it at you know kind of the one big IMAX theater here in New York. And boy, I mean, just from the very start of it, that that whole kind of first sequence, that that almost kind of weird creation myth, you know, through yeah. just like you know all the shots of, of the ship and of the landing. I mean, you know, th- th- this has been talked about by people who are are much more sort of film literate than me. But there's a real sense that blockbuster movies, in particular, just in terms of their visual grammar, have gotten a little bit more um, pedestrian in the last few years. You know, like even a movie that I really enjoyed, like Avengers, I'm very hard pressed to you know point to a shot in that movie that I, I really remember, or you know, just like an image that I, that I really felt was was interesting and was something new. And you know, Ridley Scott. You know, whether you're a, whether you're a fan of his or not, you have to admit that like here is a man who just has a really kind of uncommonly, uh, you know, fantastical sensibility for what to do with the on-screen space. And there's just, I mean, even when certain elements of the movie's plot or 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 the the, the characterization or, or or you know even when you know it sort of became a little bit of a shambles at a certain point there were just so many images that you know I, I sort of walked away from being like wow i i, I haven't seen something like that before now the, the interesting thing though to, to what you're kind of talking about is i walked out of there and you know uh, without necessarily spoiling anything I, I think we can say that you know the movie leaves a lot of questions wide open um, I sort of walked out thinking that that was the purpose of it, that it was kind of purposefully trying to be this almost sort of fable-like vision, you know, very distinctive from the alien movies, which, you know, sort of tend to draw a lot of their power from the sort of raw, visceral reality of, of their version of, of, of the sci-fi genre. So when when I sort of started reading more about the fact that, you know, it does seem like they, they want to make a sequel, and it almost feels to me a little bit like they were maybe saving some of the most interesting aspects of this series for that potential sequel, I, I, I felt a little bit disappointed in a way. I mean, it, it maybe sort of like brought me back to remembering that Prometheus is being made in a very different sort of Hollywood than Alien was made in. You know, I mean, like this yeah. this is a movie that, you know, I, 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 I sort of feel as if the worst thing that can happen with a franchise is when you know, there's this sort of purposeful sense of let's not give in, let's not give them everything, you know, let's let's leave some of the good stuff for later. And it just it, it feels like the moment when Prometheus starts pulling back a little bit, which is sort of right around when there's about a half hour left. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I sort of wonder what would have happened if they'd been like no sequel. We're kind of laying it all out here. I, I wonder if then it would have been a more complete kind of movie ex- experience. All that all that being said, I, I am. I, I am nevertheless interested in seeing a sequel if they do make it. So maybe I'm actually totally. part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, I think you zeroed in on something too. I, I, I really liked what you had to say. I think it's all that's all really kind of fair and very accurate. This is a movie that, in many ways, on many fronts, actually kind of fights your expectation or assumption about it as you go along and as you move through it, and maybe initially by the end. Um, it's a movie that, like, once you realize when you get into it, you know, going into the movie, they so successfully turned the whole question of is this going to be an alien prequel into a marketing element, into a mystery, in terms of into, into something that provided people with a reason to go see this movie. 
to get an answer to that question. I think that before the movie opened, I think they started to more strongly telegraph the idea that, yes, this movie does take place in the alien creative world. But regardless, regardless if you got that message before the movie or if you started discovering it while you're watching it, I think that what happened is what, 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 what I feel like I've noticed from some of the conversation about it, and maybe even within myself, once I realize, oh, it is an alien prequel, I now kind of make some assumptions about what an alien prequel should be. And I think that the assumption that most people had is this is a movie that will hook up cleanly and logically to the first alien movie so that when you get to the end of the movie and whether you want to interpret it as it was a movie that purposefully like, answered, asked questions for the sake of a sequel or whether or not it was supposed to be a self-contained fable filled with murky mystery to meditate on, when you realize that it doesn't cleanly and logically hook up to the first Alien movie, it's like short circuit, like what I thought an Alien prequel should be. No, I, I didn't quite get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think that for me, once, once you get past that and, and you come to peace with it, and that's kind of like why I kind of want to see the movie again mm-hmm. really badly, is, is that now that like, um, I've worked through that or kind of like I, I want to kind of encounter the movie anew as it really is, um, as opposed to kind of like watching it while trying to manage and juggle my assumptions or expectations of what I thought an alien prequel should be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I, absolutely. And, you know, uh, one thing that I think is interesting is reading, uh, you know, some interviews with Ridley Scott around this movie. I, I'm sort of struck by the fact that, you know, Ridley Scott probably, you know, the alien films and the alien franchise are such a sort of major part of, you know, the last 30 years of blockbuster cinema. And I I think even the sort of making of the movies has a real mythology behind them in a way, just because of all the interesting directors involved and the fact that each of the first four movies in their own way offers a really different take on the franchise. You, you, You realize, though, that Ridley Scott probably cares less than anyone about what you think an alien movie should be, you know? Like, yeah. as, as, as the guy who made the first one, I, I'm struck by, like, if you go back and read, there's all these interviews with him where, you know, he's talking about, you know, Aliens, which is a movie that people kind of roundly praise, and Alien 3, which always kind of has its, its followers and, and its detractors. And, you know, what he always says about those movies is, I don't understand why nobody ever went back to the space jockey, which is a reference to one very interesting visual that's almost kind of like thrown into Alien. And I I think that's very telling about Prometheus is that, you know, understandably the sequels focused on this fascinating, you know, you know, creature. And his whole thing was always like, no, like, you know, go back to that, go back to that skeleton in the chair. You know, that's, that's really where the interesting story is. And I, I think that is sort of certainly something that you're getting at, which is, I mean, I, I think this is this is almost uh, a problem more now than it used to be just because of the way that we talk about movies and the way that we talk about certain movies a long time before they come out. When there is something like this that is, I think, so starkly different from what we were expecting. I mean, in some ways, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Jeff Lebrecht, was joking that, you know, it, it almost kind of looks more like Tree of Life at times than it yeah. does like an alien movie. You do sort of wonder, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it seems like it's difficult with a film like this 
on the first viewing to almost like set aside, you know, what was I expecting this to be and what it actually was. I, I, I do want to, I do want to though quickly just talk about something and, and here we'll, we'll, we'll get into spoilers for a second. Did you, cause I actually walked out thinking that that all took place on the planet from the first alien. And so it was only like, as I went back over and said, no, but you know, the guy wasn't in the chair and this didn't quite happen. So I, I was sort of intrigued by the fact that like, they almost teased like for 90% of the movie that this is that planet. And then like at the last second, they kind of pull the rug out from under you and say like, nope, it's not. Like it's this weird combination of doing something for the fans and then just suddenly doing something very different that I was sort of intrigued by actually. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that um, expectation or, or reaction at all. Um, I thought that I, I went into the movie and, 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 and so let's back up a little bit here. I was like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine when the first Alien came out. Never saw it in the movie theater. I don't think I've actually ever seen it from beginning to end. If I have, I, um, I saw it when probably it was on television when I was 12 or 13. <laughs> I have the most, fo- I have the foggiest of memories of it. But man, I do remember very cl- clearly the visual that seems to inspire, to have inspired a whole mytho- mythological world, which is the space jockey. I mean, I'd love to know, and I don't know so much about the, the backstory of, of, of the making of the Alien movie. Did, did they even know back then, like, what the backstory of that guy is? I got to think that Ridley Scott could have just e- easily said to his production designers, what I need here is a huge set that is that is just really, really creepy, that suggests that something really, really bad happened here, and go crazy. I don't need to have the backstory, I just need it to look really awesome. Well, and, and you, you, know? You, you, you know, you to answer that, it, it's so long ago that it's always, it's always kind of hard to parse this stuff, but I, I think, it, like, uh, from what I've read, Th- that visual of the space jockey, and and when we say that for listeners who do not know that, this is like, you know, the 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 very famous visual from the first Alien when they're inside of the ship, and you know now we kind of know more about it, but at the time you just kind of saw this eight foot tall alien skeleton with its with it with its it, its midsection missing, never explained in the first movie exactly who or, or what that being is. You know that that was a huge part of an already very big and very expensive set and Scott insisted on keeping that in. I mean like there, there were people I think who were saying, you know, Ridley, we don't we don't learn anything about this guy, you know? Like there's 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 no reason to keep this in, but he was very focused on that. So I, I think it's clear that that was a visual he always really wanted to capture even if at the time it was just kind of, you know, to what you're saying, just a little bit of ambient insanity <laughs> thrown in. Right. And it's genius ambient insanity because in terms of what that movie needed, it's perfect because it's a horror movie in space and you're kind of ratcheting up the tension of something really creepy and ominous is, is happening. And that, that, that visual works in, in, in terms of the, the, the tapestry of what that movie's trying to like, you know, accomplish. So in terms of my expectation for this movie, just to kind of like go back, which is all I kind of my understanding of the first alien was that the Nostromo is on the way home from a mining thing, and they stumble across a planet where a ship has crashed, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly so, right. So 
in terms of kind of like what I thought about Prometheus, I didn't have an expectation that we were going to go to that planet or that we were on that planet. I thought that the movie was actually quite clear that where they thought they were they were going to, and in kind of retrospect, kind of putting some things together, is they thought that they were going to go to a planet where ultimately that ship came from. You know what I yes. mean? And, uh, and to be a huge spoiler alert, and I think I think Darren, we should just spoil the movie. If you haven't seen if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening now. Mm-hmm. Which is that the, one of the big twists or big theories that is planted very firmly in the ground at the end of this movie is that we're not even on the planet where these things came from. This is a separate planet that they were using to create like potentially bioweapons or something, you know, and that the real home planet of these things hasn't even been been found. So in terms of kind of like the mythology that is being created from the relationship between Prometheus and the first Alien movie, never minding any of the others, just these first two movies, we're now dealing with four planets, right? Mm -hmm. We're dealing with Earth. We're dealing with the planet that we visited in Prometheus. We're dealing with the planet where that spaceship crashed in Alien. And now we're on the way to hope potentially the home planet of the engineers. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that, that felt very clear to me. I oh. didn't like feel like we were looking at, you know, the planet where ultimately, like, you know, that, that, the, that the Nostromo stumbled upon an alien. That's, that, that's fair. I, I will say, though, that, you know, if so what that means is basically the engineers in this movie... Uh, you know, fell victim to an outbreak of their own weapon, which also happened to the engineer that we see in Alien, which I think means that the engineers need to get better quality control on (laughs) these weapons of mass destruction. I mean, you you know, they seem to really have the whole creating life on far-flung planets thing down. As far as their military-industrial complex goes, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit more suspicious of uh, whether they're prepared for that. I, you know, I... I, it's funny because we're sort of, we're sort of like talking about this, and we're talking in very specific things that I'm sure the vast majority of the viewing population doesn't know or care about. But the, you know, this has become sort of an issue, and you know, the, the notion of like how this actually does connect and everything like that. And I, I think to me, it, it reflects the fact that you know, on one hand, I'm always fully in support of overanalyzing everything. I mean, you, yeah. know, you know, let's let's just let's look at this this podcast as you know, as, as example number one. At the same time, though, it and again, I, I want to go back around to the fact that you know Ridley Scott made the first Alien and cares less about what you think this movie should be than than anyone does. I mean, it almost feels to me like what makes the Alien movies so interesting is that you know they they almost kind of bring this workman-like, you know, sort of space proletariat aesthetic, you know, this notion of, like, you know, the the stars of these movies are rarely superheroes. They're always, you know, these sort of working men and average Joes, and, you know, Ripley is just, you know, one more person on a on a mining vessel. And w- what I kind of enjoy more about Prometheus, as I, as I think about it, is it's a really, it's kind of a space opera in in, in the grandest sense possible. And even, you know, what, they, what they've said is that the the film ends with you know the the last two survivors setting off for the planet of the engineers and you know just you know in discussing a potential sequel what's come out is that the name of the sequel would maybe be paradise and it's this notion of you know what what would that planet look like and i'm just i'm struck by like you know there's i can't remember the last time that a science fiction movie was so willing to be 
almost more of a fairy tale than than anything else. You know, I mean, we're, we're so sort of like overrun now in a positive and negative way by, you know, the, the sort of Battlestar Galactica type of science fiction, which, you know, I think tries to be very visceral and tries to be very real. And I, I think one of the most interesting things about Prometheus is that, you know, it's sort of dealing with these paradise losty topics in a way that is very sort of uh, outlandish and, you know, n not always well thought out, maybe, but certainly is interesting. And so it's, it's weird. It almost feels like it's missing the point to talk too much about, you know, but who's the space jockey? You know, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's almost like, like not the right conversation to be having about it. Right. It, it, like, well, but I mean, I understand that people do want to have that conversation. I think it's fair that they are, mm -hmm. you know. Um, um, but, uh, but at the same time, I agree with your point, which is that I view Prometheus to be part of a school of science fiction that includes movies like 2001, which, surprise kids, is not hard sci-fi. I don't care what anyone has to say to you. If, if you reject this movie as quasi-spiritual, mystical, soft sci-fi, then you reject 2001 Space, uh, Space Odyssey, in which we learned that humanity's evolution was guided by aliens in consciousness encased in giant rock, um, <laughs> godlike celestial machines. Um, regardless of what they are, at the end, they turn humanity into a, a purely spiritual creature that floats above the earth as a baby. Um, you know, like, that movie has as much mystical sci-fi and, and, and quasi-spiritual hoo-ha in it um, as, as this. Um, 2001 is also a better movie. Um, um, <laughs> and so we, we do accept perhaps maybe um, it a little, little bit better. But, I mean, if we're just going to, like, throw Prometheus out um, on account that it doesn't please the hard sci-fi atheist crowd, then I guess they must hate um, uh, uh, 2001, too, as well as Solaris which seems to be that kind of like a, a, another movie uh, like very much uh, like in, in, this, in, in this school of thought. Um, that said, I, I, you know, I think Prometheus is a, uh, a fascinating movie for both spiritual people and atheists because I think that like it, it is asking some really provocative questions about um, alternate forms of how people... Absolutely. Well, know, and, 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 and regardless, like the other thing I would say is I'm trying to find my point here. My point is really this. I don't expect any movie, whether it's 2001 or Prometheus, to actually tell me the secrets of the universe or the secrets of human life. I, I have no expectation. What I expect these movies to do if they want to tackle these themes is get me to ask those questions or to model that kind of questioning or express emotionally that kind of yearning, which I have, which I think that we all have. Um, whether and whatever the answers or ultimate perspective of these movies, they speak to my questioning soul, you know, and questioning mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's also important to remember, Jeff, that the, the meaning of life was already answered decisively by Douglas Adams in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So That's right. now, now we know the answer is 42, and that, you know, right. there's there, the, no other film or, or no other sci-fi tale can ever really, you know, they have to find something else to, to talk about. I am, right. I, I, um, and you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad that you brought up 2001 and Solarius, which are both, both very sort of like interesting and wonderful science fiction movies that have nothing to do with the vast majority of contemporary science fiction movies. I, I, I would also throw in a, a more recent film. Uh, did you ever see Sunshine by Danny Boyle? 
No, I did not. It, you know, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, it, very different from Prometheus. This is a film where uh, you know. For, for, for reasons that are never entirely explained and, and are, are sort of left up to movie sci- science, the sun is dying, and in order to uh, save it, there's this sort of space mission that's going towards the sun that's going to launch, you know, several hundred thousand nuclear bombs in there and restart it, which is, which is you know, exactly how, how science works, apparently. But it's interesting, I mean, it, like, like Prometheus... It's just this very kind of evocative and very visually sort of interesting space movie. Also, like Prometheus, weirdly, it, it sort of devolves after a really kind of wonderful opening hour into almost kind of a kind of a slasher movie. It, it seems like you, you know the 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 ambition sort of suddenly mixes up with with a lot of gore. But it, it, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm always maybe I give great inflation to science fiction movies that however flawed they are, do seem to be trying to grapple with some of these really interesting notions, and, and that certainly is true for Metheus. Now, uh, but, but to circle all the way back around here, Jeff, this movie you know, did do reasonably well at the box office, certainly for, for an R-rated movie. If there were to be a, a sequel, I, I mean, you know, would you know, would you would you want to see a sequel? I guess is the first question, and then the, the follow up to that is, you know, where do you kind of see this new franchise going? I mean, you know, you were talking about it in terms of like being a new trilogy. Where, where do we go after we've sort of met, you know, met our makers? Um, well, uh, a couple things to that. Um, I do want to see a sequel, and I want to see a sequel directed by Ridley Scott. Um, so let's just kind of be clear about that. Um, um, I, I'm also really interested in seeing a movie that is written, that is that is made by Ridley Scott in collaboration with a single screenwriter. So, um, you know, the backstory about this movie is that they began with a draft by one writer, and then they brought in Damon Lindelof to, to, to rewrite it. And um, I think that now that they have, like, a vision or a perspective on, on, on what this story should be, I want to see a really kind of, like, collaboration from beginning to end with a director, Ridley, and a writer, whether that's Damon or the original writer or someone else, mm-hmm. to kind of, like, really kind of work through a vision for this movie. Where do I see it go from here? I don't see a franchise, and I don't necessarily want a franchise. This is more of a prediction based on complete just guessing, not any kind of informed kind of like opinion or anything like that, which is just, just me kind of talking, which is, I mean, I think there's, there's one expectation, which is that we would get a series of films, you know, Prometheus and then two more, or Prometheus and one more, that cleanly hooks up with the first Alien movie. So kind of like arcing that way. But what I what I think might be more likely, Darren, is that, and I, and I think I kind of maybe, to be honest with you, like this idea more, is that it would arc the other way that we would get movies that don't that ultimately don't bring us to the beginning of Alien, but kind of just take that that follow a different trajectory into the Alien world, but the revelations and the the, the content that is produced, the mythologies produced produced um, illuminates alien the, the the first alien in a way so that uh, we're not getting a story that ult- uh, a franchise that ultimately ends with that alien ship 
crashing on the planet that the Nostromo discovers, but that you can understand very clearly and cleanly how that ship got there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and and I I, I really do agree. I mean, to me, if anything, the the alien-y stuff in Prometheus, few and far between as it was, felt very extraneous. I mean, like right down to, you kind of have the first last shot of Prometheus, which is beautiful, and it's, you know, the ship going up through the clouds, and then you have the next last shot, which is this sort of unnecessary final scare where you see what appears to be the alien from the Alien franchise, and it felt a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, I, you know, the, the, the most the most interesting thing about all of this is that, you know, this movie was originally going to be a pure Alien prequel. I, I think if I recall the, 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 the behind-the-scenes story, you know, that, that's how it was conceived. And, you know, you, you can even see how, you know, in, in our kind of modern world of reboots and deep sequels, it would have made sense to put out a movie just called Alien right now, about 30 years later. It's not that much different from doing a Tron Legacy or something like that. And, you was know, it the original script called Alien Zero? Was, was it really? I think that was, was the, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, like, like, look at us kind of like, like we are so informed here at Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> I believe on what I've read is that the original script was called Alien Zero. Was it, was it, was it called Humans One, comma, Alien Zero? Because, because that, <laughs> that would have been particularly exciting. I, um, I think it's like Alien Year Zero. Uh-huh. Well, and, 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 and you know, I, 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 I'm interested because I sort of think we're coming at this from, from very different angles because I, I was a big, it's, it sounds weird to say this, I was a big Aliens fan when I was a kid. I mean, like I, I watched the, the second film on on TV. I think it was on TNT just all the time. Uh, there was briefly a series of action figures about Alien versus Predator, which I was also very into. There was there was a video game. There were comic books. There was a whole kind of expanded universe, although never really that expanded. I mean, the, the, there's not that much of a, of a mythology to draw from. You know, a, a weird phallic killing machine creature. But you know, they they sort of did their best. And I I sort of feel like what I liked about Prometheus was that it almost felt to me like they managed to secretly make something new within the exoskeleton of, of doing a reboot. And and that that I think excites me much, much more than, you know, let's let's throw in more aliens into into Prometheus yeah, too. I, or... I absolutely agree with you. I think that, you know, like, you know, we hear so much blather and talk and criticism, rightly and wrongly about franchise filmmaking and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that, you know, the, the, that crowd can dissect and, and rightly, you know, criticize Prometheus for all of that. But, you know, let's give some points for, like, a an endeavor to say, let's, let's kind of create a science fiction franchise that, yes, it, it shares a universe with the Alien movies, but isn't just another alien movie. Mm-hmm. That isn't a, a, a reboot of an alien franchise. That is actually um, a separate series of science fiction films about new characters grappling with different questions that, that, that interface with different um, uh, dimensions and corners um, of, of, of the alien mythology, such as it is. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I think that's pretty creative. I want to see kind of where that goes from here. And, you know, in terms of for, for anyone who's listening here, and I, and I definitely hope, let's include this website in the write-up of our, of our post here, Darren, which is that, you know, um, one of the things that has been talked about in this uh, uh, by, I believe, Ridley and Damon is that, yeah, like, 
there's a lot of unanswered questions, but they kind of like suggest there's a lot of things in the subtext, which if you, if you want to examine the frames, if you want to listen closely to the dialogue and pay special um, attention to span of times, because the big fundamental mystery of this movie is, yes, these engineers came to our planet thousands, tens of thousands of years ago, and like apparently seeded the evolution of humanity and even guided it. But about 2,000 years ago, they decided to um, come to Earth and, and, and wipe us out for reasons that we don't quite understand, or at least that's the working theory of our heroes by the end of the movie, is that about 2,000 years ago, they had decided to end the experiment called Earth and Humanity, and they were going to launch ships and wipe us out with this, 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 this stuff that that was going to, like, you know, destroy us or, you know, turn us into alien uh, monsters or eat us or whatever. But something happened, and that mission was subverted or curtailed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, like, you know, there is this wonderful website out there. I don't know if you've seen it, but we'll, we'll put the link up there uh, of this guy who's taken that, that, that chronology and taken some of the clues, especially the, reappear, the, the, the reoccurring images of, 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 of godlike figures with, with uh, split open sides like Prometheus, and, uh, and has come up with a really fascinating theory as to kind of like what really happened on that planet. And I gotta just, adm- I admire that guy's creativity, and we'll definitely include the link in this post. Uh huh. Wait, does this have anything to do with the the theory about like that that works in that the Jesus Christ was somehow involved with the engineers? Is that? Yes, I, I think that the theory can be kind of boiled down to uh, apparently um, because like perhaps Jesus was an alien <laughs> or Jesus was like, you know, one of the engineers and because that humanity turned its back on those that would that would want to uh, inspire us to evolve spiritually because we, came, we we became as a population the kind of people that would kill our gods. Mm-hmm. We don't deserve to continue as a species. And so perhaps they were on our way to wipe us out when something happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, 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 you know, you know, Jeff, uh, the original title of Prometheus was actually Homicidal Space Christians, which, which <laughs> certainly seems to lend that theory some, uh, some, <laughs> s- some credence. Uh, well, well if, if anything, that, that, that makes you excited for the potential prequel to Prometheus, which, you know, just, just winds up being about, uh, you know, J- Jesus Christ, the, uh, the uh, engineer. Nothing, nothing controversial about that. Nothing controversial um, about that at uh, all. Well, uh, Before we move on to other things, though, let, let's do due diligence here to those who have been galvanized by the um, I'm disappointed with Prometheus debate and, 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 and play fairly here, which is that it seems to me that a lot of people who have quibbles and issues with Prometheus have quibbles and issues with Prometheus that have nothing to do with mythology and spiritual themes, but rather what seems to be kind of like a series of questionable storytelling decisions that kind of subvert the, the, the authenticity of the movie or the credibility of the movie, um, things that don't necessarily bug me as much, but I, and, 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 and things that like we could classify as quote unquote nitpicks, um, but that seems to have been a lot, that, 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 
that has fueled a lot of the frustration with this movie. We have to be honest about that. Things like, you know, why did they take off their helmets down there to expose themselves potentially to, to viruses? Or why doesn't a certain character know how to run sideways? Uh, that kind of great pop culture debate. Um, the movie has a couple of those moments. Um, what, what did you make of what? What do you make of these complaints? Well, uh, well, I, 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 I think that you know there there is this sort of like uh, overall question of you know why is everyone in this movie bad at their job and also rude? But I, you know when you when you when you put that aside, I think for me it all comes down to there's the great sequence where she gives herself a cesarean section, which is just I I think right up there with just the the ickiest, gooeyest, most disgusting scenes in recent movie history, everything that happens after that feels very... Uh, the, the character motivations, I think, start making no sense. Like, why doesn't she tell anyone that there is an alien squid baby uh, inside of the med pod? And, you know... Mo- wait, 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 let's, let's just take one of those things, because I totally understand that. I've I've had debates with people about this, and I got to be honest with you, Darren. That moment, that 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 never that never, I I never had a problem with that. Why did that bother you? Why did why did that bother you? Why do you think that she should have told people, it, and it, why it, do you think she didn't? It, it only bothered me because what what I liked about the movie before then was that. It all felt very logical well, and very well, 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 just that, like you know. There's a quality to a lot of blockbuster movies, and this is especially true. I, I I'm only thinking about this because because I just saw Men in Black Three, which had this in Spades, where like the little connective material between set pieces very often comes down to characters doing something just to get to the next set piece. Sure. And what, what what annoyed me was that. You know, the second she runs in and sees, you know, old man Guy Pierce, everything from there, it just seems like there's these five minutes of filler that are like, okay, like, you know, we need everybody to get their suits on and get to here. And it's just, it, it was so bizarre to me that at no point would she have, I mean, she, 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 she never even really says what happened to her, per se, which just, that is sort of when we're getting into the realm of, you know, there was a scene missing there, or just, just I, I, I felt like, like I understand, but, 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 but my problem with that criticism only is that it seems to. Um, I thought it was actually very clear that she didn't have to say anything because they knew, mm-hmm. like, like you know, she, she, she has the cesarean, and then she kind of like, if I, if I'm recalling the, the story well enough. She leaves Vickers, like, you know, a meta chamber there, right? And she goes into her room, and she's clearly quite troubled. And we're clearly been introduced to a character who, I think the implication is that she can't have children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and we also get the sense that this is an extremely personal thing that she doesn't like to talk about. Mm-hmm. So... So now she's just had this absolutely fundamentally profound physiological experience with herself in which this woman who cannot harbor children 
now not only instantly gave, you know, got pregnant, but gave birth to an alien squid. Um, and um, so she's deeply troubled by that. Her faith, she's a religious person, so her faith is kind of rocked on multiple counts. And you get this picture of someone who is absolutely wrecked inside, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And she has to literally staple herself together, literally and figuratively, to get it together to move forward. And she, um, she seals herself up in a suit. And I love that image, by the way, where she kind of like zips herself up in the suit and, and it kind of stiffens her up and it pulls on her stitches and she swinces in pain. I thought that was a great moment. <laughs> And hats off to the actress whose name I cannot pronounce. Numi, but, Numi Rapace or Numi Rapace yeah, or something like yeah. that? Numi really kind of like sells the physiological experience of her spiritual and physical experience. I criticize her, though, for not acting the subtext to what follows. Because what happens after that is that she then encounters... She, she stumbles into another series of, of revelations for her that represent massive betrayals, right? Like, um, Wayland is alive. Oh my gosh, what is he doing on this place? And then right away, you get the line from David, genius line, which is, oh, like, you know, Shaw, I'm surprised to see you. I didn't know you had it in you. <laughs> oh, and that was like, oh, that was twisted evil. And like, for me, it was like, the moment that should have happened there, and a better actress that can that can act the internal quality of that character could have sold to you, I think, was, oh my God, like, he knew, okay, he, he, he's the one who actually told her that she was pregnant, so that information is now part of the ship's log, right? Mm -hmm. But not only does he know that he, I was pregnant, he knows that I got rid of this thing. They all know, and, and, and David is aligned with Wayland, and he's aligned with Vickers, and I am suddenly realized that I have been used and duped, like, on, uh, like my, my discovery that I had on Earth of possibly this alien culture has just been this, like, um, this, 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 this mission with a secret agenda to get this old guy here so he can ask his potential maker why and fix me well, um well, and, and so i think that in that moment like where she's going through such a crisis anyway and she realizes that she's dealing with the fundamental betrayals of people who don't give a crap about her i never i think that she could have acted that kind of like revelation that quiet shocking epiphany better but I never questioned them why she didn't tell them about why she gave birth, because I don't think that she cares about them either at this point. She fundamentally is in conflict with them. You know, th 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 that's, that's, that's a, a fair point, but I, I think that w where I have issue with that, actually, it, it's something that, uh, which you addressed, there's a huge sudden like mythology dump that happens there where like yeah. Wayland is alive and this is what it's all been about and Vickers yeah. is his daughter and you know there's it, it almost feels like you know there there was there was a whole second act's worth of revelations that happens in one scene which right. what you're saying I think is is that it's it's like regardless of the reality of the moment it's just really a lot for the it's, audience well, it's, to catch up with in that moment. It would have been nice if the movie did us the favor, even if it doesn't make sense in the reality of the moment, for them to process some stuff 
so we can process some stuff. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I, I think that, like, the other problematic thing with, with all of that is the main revelation is Wayland being alive. And I, I just, I think that in a movie that is otherwise, I think, really well constructed, his whole reason for going on that trip feels very flimsy to me. It, it's fundamentally is, well, I, I, I'm going to roll the dice on this whole cave painting thing, <laughs> and maybe maybe we'll meet an alien that can make me live forever. Maybe not. And then when he actually does meet the alien, just, I, you know, it, it, it's, it's maybe also hard because the obvious thing to have happen is for the alien to react violently. And so the fact that he does that and it just, it, 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 you know, we're sort of left with the fact that a movie that I think, if, if it doesn't have good three-dimensional characters, it does have really interesting types, you know, with, you know, b- between Fassbender's sort of like mysterious android and, and Numi's, you know, like scientist who also believes in God. We're suddenly left with the final twist of the movie comes down to suddenly reawakened engineer, a character we just met who we literally can't understand his motivations and Wayland who also just recently woke up, who we also just met functionally, whose motivations seem very flawed. I, I just, I, I, I think that more than anything, it's that sudden. I mean, really it's funny because thinking about it, the movie has a very long first act and then that, that's just really the, you know, let's, let's throw everything out here all at once and see, see what sticks I, and what doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sympathetic to the idea of compressed storytelling causing <laughs> dissonance with, 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 with the audience in such a way that takes you out of the movie and makes you confused by it. I hate that feeling, too. I think that there is artful confusion, that it's okay for a movie to be a little bit ahead of you, and you're, playing, you're scrambling to play intellectual catch-up with everything. And then I think that, you know, especially at that point in the movie where you just kind of want to be clicked in and sailing along with it, you don't want bumps like that. That said, Darren, i got to say, I disagree with you. I love the Whalen twist. Um, I love the Guy Pierce, the crazy Guy Pierce-ness of it all. Like, um, like, that really worked for me. I believe in a world where rich people are crazy and do eccentric things with their wealth. I believe in that archetype. <laughs> and, and that they do self-serving things designed to maintain and keep their power, if not and, and maintain their life. I believe that. I, I accept the reality of that character, and I accept it also as a metaphor for just uh, as a type. So the fact that all of this boils down, in fact, I think that actually helps make the movie make a little bit more sense because, because of this. I think that one of the things that people bust on in this movie, but makes more sense in retrospect, is what you think this movie is is a group of top-notch scientists and archaeologists venturing into space to, do an archae- to go on an archaeological dig to find the secrets of humanity, right? And, and so when you get to this planet, some things start happening that start busting up against that expectation. They come to this planet, and they find like a, a, a series of ziggurat structures. And if I was an archaeologist, I would go, holy moly, I've hit the, I've, I've hit the mother load. I can spend years excavating these things um, and, and, and coming to grips with what's inside here. 
But very quickly, they get into the very first one. They make one discovery. And the interesting thing that happens is they're profoundly disappointed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and then suddenly you kind of realize, like, wait, 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 wait. These are scientists. These are archaeologists. Well, why are they so disappointed with finding these, these, essentially these giant pyramids filled with stuff to think about and explore? And, like, you know, they could have spent probably a year just excavating and exploring the first five yards of that place. You know what I you're mean? right, you're like, right. And, and, and instead the reaction is like, oh, like a space pyramid, like give me a break. Like we, <laughs> we, we came all this way for a, for a, for a giant human head. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So there's a little bit for me, I'm like, why, why are they so disappointed and frustrated with these things? And then I think what you realize at the end of the movie is that these are people that were never, I mean, these are not the top scientists. These are not the top <laughs> archaeologists. They never came here for that kind of scientific expedition. These are self-centered, self-interested people that came here in hopes of finding an answer to one question, which is, like, where do we come from? They came here to have a conversation with the engineer, and, when they, and, and that, that's what the kind of people they are. And, and, and they are embodied ultimately by Wayland, and they are all varying shades of crazy um, of, of, of a Wayland. And um, when I kind of come to grips with that, when you're really realizing you're dealing with that kind of group of people, I accept the fact then that we're dealing with scientists that are not on the top of their game uh, or, 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 or top-notch people and so do dumb things like take off their helmets or smoke pot inside <laughs> their helmets, which I think was really funny, by the way. So, um, and, so, and, and, and you know what I mean? Well, well I, I'm actually liking the movie more and more now, but, but uh, just so I follow your interpretation, Jeff, your, your theory is that Prometheus is about uh, a, a gang of very mediocre scientists who are given a trillion dollars to do literally whatever they want, and so they're just sort of like... Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, no you're processing it wrong, and, and, and I know you're, you're going toward a joke, but this, is, but this is part of the point, which is that what I envision in retrospect, Darren, is that, like, think about this. This is, these are two scientists that found common, that found these very simplistic cave paintings in different parts of the world, and they all said, we think this is a map. This is an invitation to the stars. And I'm trying to envision them going to a major scientific conference and pitching this idea to the top physicists of the, in the world, the astrophysicists of the world, and I think that they're all looking at them going, you are crazy. You are crazy. That is stupid. How do you believe that? Like, it's interesting, don't get us wrong, but that's nutty that you would like want to roll the dice on that. There's no one going to believe, there's no one's going to believe you. No, like, culture, no, no country here is going to fund a serious scientific expedition. You're, how, where are you going to find someone? And then all of a sudden a guy named Waylon raises his hand and says, I'll spend three trillion dollars on that because he's interested in it. Sure, you know? sure. Like, sure, sure, sure. old, old, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, uh, I was going to say, you, you know, old, old Mr. Whelan stands up and says, like, this idea is just crazy enough to work. Like, I'll, I'll exactly. put all my trillions behind it. I, so I accept that. I, like, I feel like, not, like I said, I don't think that you have that in your head when you start the movie. I think that you start the movie thinking, like, these people are actually, like, you know, 
like I think that what your expectation is is that the planet Earth was so galvanized by this revelation that they actually decided as a planet to send these people out into space. If you have that perspective, then yeah, we sent the wrong people. <laughs> and, how, and, how, and how did we? How, how did that crazy rich guy get on board? You know, like. But, but but when you see it from a different point of view of they're crazy people that were financed by a crazy guy, then like I feel like and I, like that I actually think that happens in the world. Like you know I just got done watching like you know Alien Hunters on the History Channel or you know <laughs> these these crazy shows that that in which clearly wealthy people are financing crazy people to go and produce crazy like you know go on crazy journeys. I, I I believe in that, you know. So well, well and, and, and even, I, I believe in that reality. Well, and, 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 and even putting aside the, the reality of it, I, I think that w- what makes me sort of really, really enjoy this notion of Prometheus. Um, is that uh, it almost harkens back to a much older form of pulp adventure where you always kind of had, you know, like this this gang of explorers always financed by, you know, this this sort of kooky millionaire. I mean, it, it's it's sort of it it, it it makes it that much more of what we were talking about, this this, this sort of science fiction from an earlier era where, you know, right. it, it, it wasn't always the best of the best of the best who were going out bravely to save humanity. It's no, like, there is, you know, this is this is King Kong. This is an an insane sort of millionaire just wants to go and find something and, you know, he'll he'll take anybody who wants to come with him, you know? He'll, he doesn't... Right, uh, <laughs> right. I, I, absolutely. That, that's, that's, that's sort of my take. I, like, and I think it's one of those things, though, that, like, I, but I, I have sympathy with people who are listening to this and kind of going... No, <laughs> that are going. Uh, I still wasn't entertained by it, or I still have problems with it, or I still enjoy it because it's one of those things where it's that that classic storytelling thing where we we begin where, where you know the the you're reviewing more and more, but as you reveal more and more, you have to reboot more and more your entire understanding of the movie to a point where that becomes problematic in the moment and takes you out of the moment. And you just kind of go, I'm struggling here. Will someone just, like, I don't care. Can can you pause the movie for four minutes and bring in the architect to explain everything to me? Because I'm a little lost, mm-hmm. you know? Like, um, And so I, I, I'm sympathetic. That said, I happen to like those kinds of movies that yeah. like like that, that that demand that I puzzle through it in the in the middle, and then when I get to the end and I'm frustrated by it, to not not then dismiss it out of that frustration, but to continue working through it. I might be stupid that way. I might be kind of like you know I may, maybe I liked maybe I'm masochistic that way. Um, but um, but 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 I like that. I like to contend and wrangle with things that confuse me. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm 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 equally masochistic. I think Jeff. I think you just you you just summed up. Uh, I think our, our perspective on the movie. I, I I know for a fact that we could talk about it for hours and hours, and I assume that that the second that they announce the sequel, we'll begin talking about it again for years and years. But uh, I think we've we've just about reached the end of our runtime for this week. Right. Uh, but, 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 but before we do that. Darren, like, we didn't leave a lot of time for a full E3 report. You've written a lot about E3 on the website. I think that maybe you should give us some links to your coverage 
and I think that you also wrote something in the magazine this week about kind of like your, your top picks. Can you just give us three to five games that really intrigued you at E3? Uh, very, very, very quickly. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, in, on, our, on, on our website, I will post some links because I wrote several thousand words about E3 this year, um, at, least, at least 200 of which are, are, are probably interesting. But, uh, you know, uh, for Jeff, uh, Assassin's Creed 3 does look fantastic. You know, we, we're both longtime fans of the franchise. Assassin's Creed 3 takes place in the Revolutionary War. You know, the, the, from what they showed us, you're taking part in historically accurate battles. There's one scene where you're in charge of a ship in the midst of a seafaring battle, and it just looks really kind of gorgeous and also doubles as a great history lesson for your kids. Um, the new... Uh, as, as, far as, as far as games that were a little bit more ambitious, uh, there's a new game from the maker of Heavy Rain called Beyond, colon, Two Souls. The, this was sort of like the, talked about. It stars... Ellen Page, it, you know, in performance capture, but her character looks like her, and you control her. She plays a girl who is in communication with uh, someone from the spirit realm, and it looks very interesting. Uh, me and uh, our colleague John Young, we were in the room with David Cage, who's the French designer who made this game, and this is a guy who will just, I mean, if he's not brilliant, he's definitely a great showman, because he'll just talk about how, you know, this game is a sort of existential treaties and it's you know we're gonna we're gonna really explore what it means to be alive and to be dead and you know all the, you so know, the Prometheus of video games exactly well and, and more and more to the point it's something that you don't necessarily hear when you're you know in the room listening to you know what's happening in the next Gears of War although you know I, I always think of those games as being very existential also um, the, the other sort of uh, big game which is uh, slated for next year is called The Last of Us uh, I don't know if you've heard about this Jeff but it's sort of set in the post-apocalypse, um, some sort of like fungal epidemic has spread, which uh -oh. basically, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's it's always a concern. Um, and basically, what that means is that it's a really sort of gorgeous-looking apocalypse. You know, like we saw this sequence that was set in Pittsburgh, of all places. Pittsburgh is suddenly hot this summer between this and Dark Knight Rises. But it was, you know, like there were just kind of trees everywhere, and it sort of had the look of like a rainforest that had taken over the city. Really, sort of interesting. I mean, you know, we've seen so many uh, video games set in the post-apocalypse, and this one is just looks to be a little bit more evocative. I will say, the, the favorite game that I played, it's sort of a smaller game called The Unfinished Swan. Um, and it, it, it's, it's interesting, so it, it was actually... It's coming out on the PlayStation Network later this year. And to me, this was sort of the limbo or braid uh, of this year. You know, the, the, the sort of smaller game that, you know, really seems very interesting and very distinctive. It's sort of hard to describe, but essentially you're going, you're inside of the world of an, a painting. And it's sort of an, an, uh, an uh, impressionist's painting. And uh, when the game starts, you're just in a, a complete white space. You can't see anything. And to find your way around, you have to throw, like, black paintballs, and they kind of hit the invisible world around you. 
and it sort of illuminates your pathway forward. And, you know, at first you're inside of a room, and then you go off into a forest. It was just very, very interesting. I mean, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago, Jeff, about how there's nothing wrong with sequels to action-heavy video games about badass dudes shooting aliens. You know, that's, that, that's fine, and many of those are very fun. But this was kind of the game that I kind of, like, walked away from playing it for a couple minutes and just thought, that game is going to blow people's minds wide open, you know? Very similar to, to how I felt playing Limbo um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, that sounds great. I, uh, th- those all sound fantastic. I, I was, I'm, I'm actually kind of still kind of processing um, a fungal apocalypse, and the first thing that kind of like uh, came to mind is I, I want athlete's foot, colon, the video game. Uh, well, well, y- y- you know, uh, the, the the Wii U does have a, an, a, a, a pretty imp- impressive lineup, but uh, y- you know, maybe maybe that'll come once they sort of you know get to their get to their next mo- month of, of launch. Uh, athletes. For the record, for the record, my athlete's foot joke did not work. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but but you talking about your athlete's foot joke did work, which is which, I didn't which, say which I really had athletes, important. but what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, it. it uh, in, it, to, to sum it up very quickly, Jeff, uh, you know, there were no big announcements this year, but there certainly is the sense that we're at the end of this video game generation. And uh, I sort of walked away feeling like, you know, what sometimes happens is right at the end of a video game generation, the most interesting games come out because, you know, everyone knows exactly what the PlayStation 3 software can do and what the, you, you know, they know exactly how to push it. And just, you know, when you see Assassin's Creed 3, you're really just struck by the fact that, like, this could be the sort of ultimate action adventure of this sort of, like, you know, six to seven year, like, node of video game history, which which is, is really exciting. Are, are you gonna are you gonna find time in, in your busy schedule to play the new Assassin's Creed, Jeff? Sounds like it. I mean, I, um, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, like you know, I um, wh- how, what you're what you're describing to me sounds cool. What little I've read about it sounds cool. Um, Adam Barry, our colleague Adam Barry, came back to the office uh, um, when I was there and was just singing its praises and talking about the things that you can do uh, moving through homes, like treetop climbing and and. And, and and I understand that there's a huge like water battle um, yes. with, with with ships that is apparently is just extraordinary and um, you know not a period of history I'm normally galvanized by but it sounds like they um, they've rocked it and so I, I, I'm I'm really intrigued. Jeff, don't front. We know you spend your weekends at Revolutionary War recreations. Uh, you know, you know, put, putting on your George Washington wig and uh, you know, uh, re- reenacting. Oh, man, I, feel, I feel busted. Why is it so much easier for me to admit that I, I I love the deep and murky spiritual themes of Prometheus when I can't admit that I'm actually a Revolutionary War reenactor? I... <laughs> Oh, no, I have weird sources of shame, I guess. That, <laughs> and my athlete's foot, which I don't have. What? Well, huh? well now, that, now that we know entirely too much about uh, the inner life of, of, of Jeff Jensen, uh, I, think it's, I, I think it's time that we put this, this podcast to rest. Uh, I, I do want to say, though, that uh, for all of our listeners, if you have any thoughts about Prometheus that we didn't get to today or any profound counter-arguments to anything we said today, we'd love to hear from you. I think it's always fun when a movie like this comes out that can kind of galvanize. Uh, that kind of conversation. Other than that, I just wanted to say uh, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, I'm Darren Franich. And I'm not Darren Franich. No, I'm Jeff Jensen. Have a good one, everyone. See you next week. Bye.